Welcome to Unshushed, a podcast for librarians, teachers, and lovers of YA. I'm Erin, and today I'm going to be talking about The Year We Fell From Space by Amy Sarah King, who is actually joining us today. <laughs> Hello, it's Amy Sarah King, and thank you for pronouncing my middle name correctly. That is awesome. That's why I tweeted you to ask. <laughs> <laughs> Since A.S. King is here, we also read The uh, History of the Future, which was yeah, I've read a ton of her books. Like, I'm so excited. Okay, so I guess I will get started. And I just recently read The Year We Fell From Space. It turned into my um, my corona stack whenever we found out that, you know, we weren't going to be going back to our actual campuses for a while. I was like, hmm, I need to read this book. And The Year We Fell From Space follows Liberty, who is a middle grade child. And... Basically, the book begins at the beginning of the year when she feels like her entire life fell from space. She has an obsession with the stars and creating star maps and learning constellations, but sort of looking at them through her own individual lens. And at the beginning of the year, around the same time that her parents announced their divorce and her dad left and started his whole new life, this meteor sort of falls out of the sky and she feels like that's part of what has sort of disrupted her entire life. Her sister is having some serious issues that Liberty's trying to help her work through. The dad, even though he says he's going to be, they're going to have all these hangout time and he's going to be around and they're going to see him all the time. They don't see him for, what is it 80 something days? I think about three months. Yeah. Yeah. For a while. So one of the things that I really loved about Liberty was you kind of realized that one of the it's, it's a good and a negative quality about Liberty is that she's constantly focused on making sure everyone else around her is doing okay while she puts herself on the back burner and doesn't necessarily take care of her own needs. And that definitely served as a mirror for this girl when she read this book. Liberty is having some trouble and her, like, her life is starting to make a little bit more sense slowly as she, she stops doing her star maps, but obviously that's not helping her at all. And she's, she's very observant. She starts uncovering some things that her parents have hid from her because they're not giving her all of the information surrounding their dad's mental health and around their divorce. But she's pretty observant and pretty keen, something that I've noticed that a lot of your characters are like. And I just, I loved it. It was a fast read. Well, I say it was a fast read. I have a lot more time to read these days. So maybe I just knocked it down quicker. Um, So I guess one of the things that whenever I found out um, that you were going to join us today was I do love your characters. I, I loved Liberty. I loved Lucky and everybody sees the ants. Everybody sees the ants as like one of my, I think every human being, especially adults need to read that. And I think that a lot of your characters, they're kind of jaded teens that adults think they understand, but they really don't. Yeah. Well, adults think they understand. Teen- no, adult. the minute people hit 20, they forget. Teen- <laughs> um, it's the reason why in Still Life with Tornado, I made one of the Sarahs 23 and really, really eye-rolly about teenagers because I've met, I've met so many 21-year-olds who are like, oh, that kid is such a teenager. I'm like, what? You were just at that stop a minute ago. Like, why are we, you know, it's a low-hanging fruit, right? Especially teenage girls. We just pluck them. Eh, we make fun of them all, all we can. Um, so, but adults don't, like, first of all, kids notice everything. So adults that think they don't 
I don't understand it. I was one of those adults once, but I really wasn't because I knew kids noticed everything because I noticed everything and I still notice everything. People still treat me like a kid. It's weird. I'm 50. Um, but <laughs> yeah. So my characters are very in the know. I don't know if they're as jaded as they are more trying to, they're jaded with the idea that the adults in their lives are ignoring their pain so much, ignoring, ignoring their feelings because teen feelings and kid feelings, well, nobody cares about those. Those are just phases you're going through. And it's just hormones and all these other excuses we make. And of course, we're living in a time where the number one killer of school, secondary school age kids, actually from the age of 10 to 34, is mental health disease. The number one disease killing young people who would read these books. Is, is depression um, and anxiety and things like this. So I don't understand why we're not taking their feelings seriously. And I think it's kind of, I do absolutely jab at that in all my books because all the parents are clueless and the kids are smarter than the adults because I'm pretty sure that's how, that's how it is. In a way, I mean, I'm smart about certain things because I'm experienced, but am I smart about my kids' feelings? No, because it's her feelings, right? It's so that's who, you know, I'm smart about my feelings or maybe I'm not because I'm a lot like Liberty <laughs> or I was <laughs> or I am. Mirror. Yeah, I mean, I think that it's, I think that most kids are kind of left on their own to solve their problems, half because they don't tell us their problems <laughs> and half because if they do, we don't know what to do with them or we say something pat. That's yeah. very true. Yeah. I think a lot of times it's difficult to uh, understand. I try, you know, to be open with my kids and, and be available. And I think that a big part of it is how they see us. Right. And, whether or not they believe that we have the ability to understand what they're going through. I tell my students all the time, I'm like, dude, I just look like this. And it's really because when they see me, I know that they have no idea what I've been through or what my family history is like. And maybe at school, I look like I have it pretty well together, but they really have no concept of what my childhood was like and my ability to maybe empathize with where they're coming from, you know? So I think that it's kind of a two-way street or a double-edged sword there, yeah. right? Either way, I can't decide if it's more vicious or not. But uh, <laughs> but yeah, it's difficult sometimes to, for them to let you in. And it is also difficult to understand what they're going through because their lives are different than what our lives were at that same age, just because, you know, society has changed so much. And it's funny, you know, you mentioned how at 20 something, you already are distancing yourself from a teenager. I specifically remember being at a house party at UT my senior year. And this poor freshman came up to talk to me. And first off, I was like, why are you, why are you even at this party? Like, how did you get in? <laughs> and then she was trying to share something with me. And I said, honey, I've already done this like a lot. I don't, I don't have any more room for it. And she was like, what? <laughs> like she was so offended, but you know how you're so willing to give and share at 18. And by 21, you're like, I've, I've picked my friends that know my story. I need a friend now that when I say my dad calls, they aren't like, Oh, what's he doing? They're like, Oh, darn. What happened? You know, like, I know I what that means. You went on the backstory. Yeah. I, I kind of feel too, like some of these characters, like, and I guess I'm just going to go back to everybody sees the ants. Cause that again, is one of my favorite books that I've ever read, like with lucky. And again, maybe I used the word jaded earlier and maybe it wasn't the best word to use, but I did see a lot of like my teenage self in him. And I think there are in that book specifically, there was a lot of projecting of what he was going through. I, I feel like the adults almost made him more teen angsty because they were projecting their feelings on him. And I kind of felt that way about my own teenage self. Like, hmm, was I really that angry? Or was I just almost being made more angry because 
everyone just assumed a lot of things. Well, I'm lucky, like, lucky Linderman is, is so, I mean, his parents are just a mess. <laughs> his whole family was a mess. Yeah. Kind of like Liberty's family is a mess too, I guess. I say, this is what I do. I put families in precarious positions and then try and save them. Um, there's one upstairs in my office right now and I have to save them later. But yeah, you know, I mean, I've got the squid on my arm. So if you're, a, and everybody sees the Ants fan, then you know why I have the squid on my oh, arm. I, know, I, like maybe I was in lane three doing 150 laps while I was writing that book every day, which is what I was doing, which is why, I'm, why I have wobbly arms at 50. But anyway, um, yeah, you know, it's funny because I think the only angry character, it's, and you guys laugh because you've read my books, that I wrote was Gerald in, in Reality Boy. To me, that's the only angry character. But I think anger... When I go into schools now, anger is the number one thing I ask for because I do writing workshops and I like to, I ask students, what are you angry about? And the first few times I did it with, with the classes I was working with, one girl turned to me and said, I, I can't write anything. I'm like, well, why not? She's like, no adult has ever asked me what I'm angry about before. Never. They don't care what I'm angry about. I'm like, well, then how are you going to write something you care about if you're not angry about it, if you're not passionate about it? The whole idea is, is uh, you know, Vonnegut has a quote. I'm going to see if I remember it. It's about... Um, Oh man, it's great. It's about where do I get my ideas from? Ask the same of Beethoven. Beethoven was just goofing around in Germany and uh, all of a sudden this stuff came gushing out of his head and it was music. I was just goofing around like anybody else in Indiana and all of a sudden this stuff came gushing out of me. It was discussed with civilization. It's one of my favorite Vonnegut quotes because that's where you write. You write from what disgusts you in civil. You get pissed off and then you write about it. And so that's where, like for me, angry character, that'd be more like Gerald in reality. But Lucky, he has every right to be angry, but he's not. He's more just confused and lost. And what the heck do I do? These two parents are lunatics, but they're not. They just don't talk to each other. This is nuts. My father just cooks. That's all he does. So I think, yeah, and the same as like Liberty in this book. Like, why isn't my dad calling? He said he'd get bunk beds. You know, what's going on? But then she eventually finds out. And, and these sorts of things are things I remember asking my editor, especially about some of the things that Liberty finds out in this book. It's a middle grade book, so she can't find out too much. And I couldn't say too much. But at the same time, most kids, by the time they're reading middle grade books, understand that their parents sleep in the same bed, let's say, like the <laughs> basics, right? And so I said to, to someone I was working on the book with, like, is this okay to say? And they used their own experience back to me. And they were 10 or 11 and said, when they weren't then, they were older then when they were talking to me, but when they were 10 and 11, that they'd had a very similar experience when their parents divorced. And yes, of course they were going to have girlfriends or boyfriends or people around or whatever, that this is very normal. And actually no one ever talks about it. We might talk about how annoying stepdad Gary is, but we might not talk about how we have to adjust, you know? to this idea and you know they're honest the true reasons why couples break up yeah they don't we, we don't really tell our kids these things i don't think you know and it's none of their business either but at the same time hiding things from kids is like um hiding chocolate in your pocket from a dog that's the best i can do right now <laughs> i like that liberty very slowly put little pieces like at first she noticed the lipstick on the glass you know and then the the well-behaved women rarely make history coffee mug and things like why would my dad have this at his house you know but she's also trying to shelter her sister from the truth that she knows too so even like her parents are trying to keep her from knowing too much at the same time she's trying to keep the little sister from knowing too much as well so yeah. she kind of steps in as that parental role yeah, and she does, and she and, and she didn't necessarily have to, but for that she did, and she and she feels very protective. So, um, yeah. And what book yeah. did you read, Mindy? 
I was going to say the history of the future is all about mental health and how she's dealing with her mom's suicide um, and then confronting it with her dad, who her dad doesn't even really, they don't ever talk about it, how she finally tries to get him to talk to her as a person um, and answer some of her questions. It's sort of fantasy in that they can kind of, two of the characters can kind of see the future in somebody when they look at them. They can kind of see their past and their future. And so they kind of get an idea of things like future civil wars and things like that. But the thing that really hit me more was the mental health issue and her dealing with similar feelings of frustration in her life and um, what is she going to do with her life and where, how is she similar to her mother? Um, it's like her toe, her foot, her foot is similar to her mother's and, and in her head, I imagine her going, oh, great. Another way I'm like my mom, you know? <laughs> and so I really liked Glory and her friend Ellie and uh, their struggle to just make it through. Mm. When we tell a teenager that something they feel is a phase, like you mentioned or whatever, we're not addressing their reality whenever like a teacher or something says oh yeah she broke up with her boyfriend and then like rolls their eyes I'm like but that is huge for her yeah. that is her world like to us okay you yeah know, at that moment that's that, the end of the world we all that's, lived. it's the worst thing ever yeah right. but to them it is everything um and if they have a death in their family that is huge and adults seem to acknowledge it and they feel sympathy for them, but they don't want to talk to them about it. It's no. like the thing they don't mention. They just kind of give them extra cushion. But or they try and, I think they try and joke. I'm going to jump in just because, I mean, I, I don't know. I think you guys know we're dealing with a family loss. So I lost my teenage daughter um, 16 months ago. Um, she was 16. Her little sister's 12. Um, and what happens is people you know, and most of her teachers had my elder daughter in the school. Um, and so we had a meeting together and, and they asked me great questions. Like what happens if I accidentally call her by her sister's name? I'm like, she's used to it. Just move forward. It's fine. And but the poor tears, like I felt so horrible for them. Like, but the idea of the, yeah, I mean, we talk mental health very much in this house because that's how my daughter dies. And we don't talk about it at all in the, in the real world. You know, we, we take, I, I did a writing workshop three months after my daughter died. And I was doing my writing prompt. I have a writing prompt and it's a long story, but either way, I ask, I, I get to a point where I say, pretend you were asked to write a five paragraph essay. Let's all make the five paragraph essay noise now uh, um, about this subject that really pisses you off, right? So the same, I, I give them the same Vonnegut quote I just gave you. And wh what would the thesis statement be for that, right? And then I ask them to share that. And I'm there three months later and there's a guy in the back of the room and he raises his hand to share it. And he says, teenage girls should stop uh, killing themselves because their boyfriends break up with them. And the funny part is I had my own thesis statement, which is people don't really understand the mental health of, of young people and blah, 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 or whatever. And I got to read mine out and kind of give him the death stare um, and then talk to him about how ignorant his view was. Um, basically, like, that's not why it happens. And are you aware this is the number one killer for people that age? And are you aware of these things? And he wasn't. It was just for some reason that was what he was passionate about. Maybe he lost someone. I don't know. But we don't talk about mental health in this country. We don't talk about emotions. We don't talk about psychoevolutionary theory of emotion. We don't talk about anything that we should be talking about in order to get 
young people and old, like nobody talks about anything. And with epigenetics, we're all just carrying our parents and our grandparents' trauma with us every generation. And at some point it's gonna have to break or we're gonna have to educate ourselves to talk about mental health and education uh, and emotions and, and put it in the education system, have it be there. Not just SEL either and just bigger classes. But that's my, that's my little dream world. <laughs> I have noticed a lot more YA has dealt with mental health and a lot of our students in middle school and my own high school daughter have gravitated toward these things where students are having and grappling with real situations that are heavy. They want that. They want to know they're not alone, but they're maybe they're looking for some solution because you're right. They're not going to listen to mom because we don't know anything. And you said so many things that are so spot on about how we, you know, a lot of people will dismiss trivial things, but that's, I think it's part of their identity growing up. I think we forgot that having a boyfriend was part of your identity. It was who you became. Oh, I have a boyfriend. I'm good enough for that. And then it kind of goes through that. So I am thankful for all the literature that's coming out now that is helping kids connect. Well, think about what starts getting put on, like what's being put on the reading lists, you know, like award lists in the, Tasha's list and the Lone Star list and everything. And a lot of those books, uh, well, we're Texas, so we only talk about Texas lists, obviously. Um, but, uh, you know, a lot of those books do cover heavy issues and hard hitting issues. And they're books that kids pick up and read. You know, I'm, I have a ton of kids that they'll pick up one Laurie Hulse Anderson book, like they'll pick up Speaker, they'll pick up Catalyst, and then they will read everything else in that catalog by her and they'll pick up winter girls and you know, pick up, you know, those books about eating disorders and trauma and things like that, that fictional characters experience, but they want to read that. I mean, that not ev not all of them, but a lot of my middle grades kids. And I think high school. I think they need to, I think they need to, I think they need to explore those things. I did. I mean, I, I found Paul's and Dell when I was in, it was thanks to an English teacher and then a librarian. So, I found Paul Zendel's books and there, there, there was my mirror and, and it wasn't called YA back then. You know, I don't know what it was called. It was just, we didn't have a name for it. <laughs> we didn't read YA. I still have all of my junior highs copies of it. I totally stole all of Paul Zendel's books. I carried them. I moved them to every country I lived in and I still have them. They're held together with like packing tape. I read them often. Um, but he helped me a lot and it was because he was real and because he had adults in his books, fully formed adults who were, sometimes jerks and sometimes not they were real they were real adults and when i, when I read it i was like oh, he knows adults like this too because every other place either the adults were dead or, or or perfect disney parents or or crappy disney parents it's one or the other and they, it was always a trope i wanted to go back really quickly and say that it's one thing it's it, the only thing that concerns me about books about mental health for young people is to make sure that they're responsible. I had a really great student up at BCFA who wrote a fantastic critical thesis on the responsibility of, of writers for children to write books that, that represent mental health issues in a realistic way. Um, and so there are several books out there, say for me, I mean, obviously um, you're reading Gloria O'Brien's History of the Future. You know that depression and, and suicide has, has been a subject that I've just, you know, just been in for years. And there are several books out there that do involve suicide and young people, and they are not responsible books. And it's sad to say that, but they have to be responsible to serve the teens. Otherwise, it just becomes another plot point. And suicide's not a plot point. It's a reality in life. And right now, since we've been talking, we've lost several people in this, young people in this country to it. 
while we're sitting here talking. So it's not really a plot point like, oh, this is how two people meet. No, no, it's a very serious thing. Um, and as someone who's living through it and surviving it as a mom, um, we really need to take it more seriously in our books. So, and, and I think that's happened. I mean, I've gotten more letters since, since Gracie died to say, oh my gosh, I wrote a book about suicide. Is this plot okay? And I'm like, I'll be your valet for right now. Okay, I'll talk about it. Let's talk on the phone. And we work, we work through any issues that would be absolutely inappropriate. It's the best way I can put it. Okay. I just want to say thank you for serving in, in that platform as well, because uh, it is imperative that we discuss it in a responsible way. So thank you for doing that, um, because I know that's beyond just being an author. So that, that means a lot to me also. It's, uh, it's been, this is what I do at my school visits. I don't talk about this stuff straight up because you can't, you know, no, no administrator wants you to come in there and start talking, you know, very serious mental health issues. But what I do do is I pepper, you know, I have this basically how to make mistakes, how to be okay with making mistakes, how to own up to your mistakes and make smarter mistakes. And, but also get into some heavier stuff, but that's what I've always done. Um, when I, whether I'm in a high school or a juvie or a, or a middle school, I like to just make sure that, I don't know, that somebody in the audience might see that, oh, she's like 50 and she gets it. Good. Maybe your mom does too. Mm -hmm. Maybe, you know, trust these people. Trust, you know, really, you have to trust. So you had said that before. It's a two-way street. It really is. It's a two-way street. And, and being on this side of things is a two-way street. And, and, and so many mental illnesses actually tell you not to tell people. And so, and not share and keep things secret. So it's, it's a tricky road, depending on what we're dealing with and everything's different. So anyway. uh, I, I was raised to talk, you know, with my, with my mom, you, you can tell me anything. It's fine. You know, and she was very open and very understanding until she wasn't, but sometimes you also have to be a mom, right? Where you're like, Hey, that's not, that's not okay. I have survived my brother uh, committing suicide. And because of that, my conversations with my children are very different. It's not just, hey, if you ever need to talk, it's more like when there's an issue, it's your responsibility to come out and say something. And it's my responsibility to get you the help that you need. So even if it's not with me, we're going to get the help, you know, and I have both my seven and uh, seven seven-year-old and eight-year-old are in therapy and it's because of some issues from school and it's funny because some older people, when I said, oh yeah, when they go to their therapist, they're like, oh, therapy? Yep. And it, it made me even second guess myself. And I'm like, you know what? Their mental health and what's good for them is far more important than what you think about me taking my kid to therapy. It's interesting though, because you, I feel like we're more open to it and we're more aware of it, but it may just be that the co my colleagues and the people that I choose to interact with are the kinds of people that are more understanding and open to it. So whenever I, I interact with other people and they kind of give me that look, I'm like, you know, for someone else, that may be enough to deter them from going, you know? Mm -hmm. So I think that we have to be very responsible in the way that we respond to other people when they share something like that. Yeah, you can't put a stigma on taking care of yourself. Yeah. Right. And yet that's what the whole world's made of. Yes. Right, 100%. And that's yet. one of my concerns about us being home. I think a lot for us, the, the people that I'm looking at right now, are definitely the person that our kids go to. Yeah. And it is very concerning to me that they don't have us to turn to in a daily way. And if they have mental health problems and then maybe 
a family member and they are in that home all day, every day for weeks, that concerns me. So, me too. you know, I'm glad we can talk about it. And I hope for that sake that we can get back to talking to kids. I, that's the hardest part about like right now being a public school librarian is I mean, you think about the space that you create <clears throat> And I, we all kind of have similar vibes in our libraries where like this is an open place where, you know, like hate's not welcome, but everything else is. And our kids don't have, I mean, they might at home, they might, I mean, I'm not saying like a lot of our kids are in loving homes and stuff, but you know that there are people and you know the number of people on your, every one of your campuses that comes to the library every day because that's where they find solace. That's where they feel welcome. That's where they, and, and they don't have that right now. That's what's hurting all yes. As school, school librarians, public librarians too, but school librarians fill a really amazing role in that way. And it, it is, I mean, it's funny because it, my daughter went to her librarian and her, I, I go up to the school and see that librarian and, you know, but yeah, library is a very safe space for a lot of kids. Um, and my husband's a teacher. He's upstairs cyber teaching at the moment, but he's got the same, he's got the same vibe where he's the one people come to. And what does it mean when we're, when we're away and not together? It's... It's definitely a weird time, and it's weird to write a book during this time. Let me just tell you that, because you're like, well, this book's going to come out in 2022. What do I write about 2020? I don't know. <laughs> you know, it's hard. The book I'm writing right now, a big event, half it's it's set in 21, but it's, but it's it it's a long story. But a big event happened in 2020 on on June 23rd. So now I'm like, oh great, Amy, you're just predicting the future again, like Gloria O'Brien, because people wrote to me after the election and said, oh my gosh, Amy, how did you know? I'm like, duh. Um, you know, so anyway, but yes, okay. So yes, mental health is important. It's one. It's I didn't mean to write this book about mental health. I didn't mean to to put in the things that I did, but I think that we don't talk a lot about um, adults with depression or adult with mental health issues, adults, parents with mental health issues and what it's like to, and in fact, that we go back to Gloria O'Brien. There's Gloria O'Brien who was four when her mother passed, right? Died by suicide, but no one ever talked to her about it. Um, and so her worries are, are very mental health, you know, worries like, am I going to inherit this? It is um, often inherited. And so, in this story, it's it's closer because, of course, dad's still alive and everything's cool, but she wonders if she's going to inherit this from her dad. And then when he starts making shady moves, she's like, oh, God, I can imagine she's in her head going, I hope I don't make shady moves like that. So I wanted, I wanted to kind of cover all that. And I wanted to give in a way without being didactic. I wanted to model in a way what it's like if you're worried about your mental health and you're 11, 12, 10, 9. I don't care when you read this book. If you're worried about your mental health, there are ways, there are cool therapists there. And that's one of the things in, in a responsible children's book, you know, show therapy is a positive thing that helps. Um, you don't use these things as plot points. There's, there's certain things that this wonderful student had come up with um, that absolutely made the books responsible. So I did, I tried to do that with this book, especially uh, Gracie was the first reader of this book. So she gave me the thumbs up on it, which was pretty cool because she suffered from depression. And I have, I can't say I can't say now that I've never suffered from depression, but at the time I can I can say I didn't then. But yeah, so that's part of the reason. The book, I don't know why the books get written. I don't know what I'm going to write every day. Like right now, I have no idea what's happening in the next scene in the next book, and yet it's due in two months, and yet I'll still pull it off because that's what I do. But uh, we'll all take an arc when you're done. <laughs> June twenty third is my daughter's birthday, so I want okay. to find out what happens on that I day. Everything's good. I yeah. mean, if if it goes by. Uh, Hey, if my novel comes true, time is going to stop. We're going to flow into a time, a fold in time and space because it's an A.S. King novel. 
So if that happens, she's going to have a really long birthday. It's going to be okay. really long. <laughs> Can I also say that whenever I first heard of your books, I thought A.S. King was a pen name because of course. it's ask, asking. I don't know. I thought, oh, that's not real. And then I started looking into you and it was real. Um, but it's, it's I, I don't know. I like that your initials and your last name spell a word. So that's kind of fun. And yeah. I'm curious and I always ask a really annoying questions. What's that? Oh. I always ask really annoying questions. So it's perfect. No, probably not really annoying. I thought they were annoying because I was a young person. But okay. And are you going to continue to write middle grade novels under Amy Sarah King? Or is that how you're distinguishing between your two? I think so it's a long story of why I couldn't use A.S. King over at Scholastic. It's a very weird contractual story that has to do with lawyers and things. I have no idea. It's just inside there. They have there's new clauses and contracts that that wouldn't that, that suit him like they basically say you have to behave a certain way but they don't give you guidelines and then i thought well i'm a ya author as well <laughs> if they go through my twitter they might see the f word does that fit in with this uh-oh better do this with a different name so that was more of a that was more of a business decision okay. but i'm glad they're separate because my as king books are not for young younger people no they're not 10 year olds and i've had people say well my kid reads ahead i'm like my kid reads really well too but no no you're gonna have to just you read it first, then ask yourself if you're going to be comfortable explaining what these things are. It's like playing Cards Against Humanity with my 81-year-old mother. Unless I'm prepared to, to explain some of the vocabulary in that game to an 81-year-old mom, then I'm not playing it with her. That's right. going to happen. Very true. Okay, so one thing you nail over and over and over again in your books is dialogue, and you sound like the teenagers talking sound like teenagers talking and I'm just really super impressed because you just said, you know, I was writing from the point of view of someone who had depression, but I've never at that time, I'd never had depression. And to me, that is like what a truly gifted author has and does versus not a truly gifted author. And they can do it time and time again. And you, you do that. But I, I spend a lot of time thinking like, how, how is she doing that? Because like, I talk to kids all day long. I get no work done at school because I'm like blah, 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 blah to kids. I, I couldn't sound like one. So how, like, how do you do that? Like, that's such a gift. I have no idea. And first, thank you, because that makes me feel awesome. I think a lot of times I, I think I might, I might still talk like a teen. I'm not sure. I know I'm serious. Like, I can't tell. I don't. Like, I don't feel like I had a huge adult shift in my life ever. Not even when I had a baby, not when I moved to a different country, nothing like that. When I bought my first car or my house, I didn't like go, yay, I passed the adult thing. I don't, I never felt, and I mean, that's weird because a lot of like people are like, oh, you have to dig back into your teen years. And I'm like, no, all of my books are about what I'm going through right now. So when you read The Year We Fell From Space, you're looking at a book of, about a woman who was 46 and 47, what she was going through, but not really, but that's me dealing with it. Right. And so, um, so it's weird because it's totally coming from me. And yet the dialogue just comes out. One of the things I do make sure, especially when I'm teaching, unless a character is specifically wordy, right. Or like really talkative. Um, a lot of people overwrite the dialogue and, and say these things inside a dialogue. Whereas if you listen to people, they usually mostly speak in grunts. I think we usually, mostly speaking grunts and shorthand that's what we speak in as right as 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 humans we do that's true we, like i know right what does that even mean not like but, dawson's creek or <laughs> so we did back then darcy okay 
I don't know how I do it. And I don't know. I don't, I don't know. It just, it's people. That's, I think that's the other thing as well. Is that like teenagers are just people. Like, I don't know why they're, they're set aside so differently. I guess because they do invent cool, you know, trends and, and think like new things to say. And I don't know. I, they just seem to, I don't know. I can't answer that question. I have no idea how I do it, but I'm really glad I do. Yay. Thank you. Well, yeah, I'm glad too. that you do too. Thank you so much you. for joining Thank us. Thank you. I wish I could stick around, especially for that Whitehead book, but I'm not gonna. I'm gonna take off and I'm gonna go work on student work and then get back to my own book. Thank you for having me. Thank you for having this cool thing. Thank you so much. And you're awesome. And I, I don't know. I hope this all ends soon. I can come to Texas and we can all have a tea party. There we go. Oh, Love it. So fun. Can we consider doing? Consider doing like an online writing class, like for librarians or students, <laughs> where like I really. So Laura can learn how to write dialogue. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, I don't want to be a writer, but I wish I knew more about it, if that makes any sense. Like, I think I could do my job better if I understood the craft better, even though I don't personally want to write. Understood. Um, hey, have you ever read, listened to Sarah Zar's podcast? I haven't listened to it, but I've read some of her books. Cool. Well, check out Sarah's podcast because she gets into, what the heck is the name of it? She just relaunched it, but she obviously has the rest all, you know, it's all there. Um, the older ones. This now I can't remember what it's called. Either way, it's about writer's lives. I mean, she does get into process and writer life. So it's kind of cool for that. But yeah, I'd love to do online stuff. And I, this, I was just talking to my boss about it this morning. Like, what what can we do? Like, I'm not, I don't want to sit and read a book. Like, I mean, I would do that all day. But I don't want to sit and read a book. And I can't, you know, copyright, I guess, sort of cuts off how much I'm allowed to read of my own books. It's kind of weird. <laughs> Whatever. Uh, but... Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> teaching teaching requires like feeling like a grown up. <laughs> well, is- I think that you've done a great job here in explaining, you know, parts of your craft and and how you decide to put in what you're putting in. So I do want to thank you again though for writing this kind of material for middle school because I think this is where we need to get them, if not earlier, at yeah. least here, sixth grade, seventh grade, you know, understand that what you're going through, you are not the only one to go through it. And that, you know, that there is help and that there are people that can hear you. So thank you again for that. Well, thank you. And thank you for sharing your like survivor to survivor family. Like it's um, really important. My grief group now, my mom's grief group, we're seeing 10 and 11 year olds, at least a few a week. It's just constant and we need to start something, but I don't know where the government's not going to start it. We're going to have to start it. (laughs) Exactly. It's always been an underground librarian, English teacher, writer, weirdo thing. Somebody, you know, some like we're, we're the weirdos I'm assuming. So I think that this is, it's not necessarily our job, but it's our duty, I guess. hundred percent. Thank you. Thank you for what you guys do. All of you have a great day. I'm out of here. I'm going to go do some things. It says leave meeting. It's red though. It makes me feel like I should (laughs) on it. Bye guys. Thank you for having me. Bye.